Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome the uh, hundreds of you that join us every week online. We are so glad that you're joining us. Also, our uh, wonderful friends at the Hangar in Montana, and our dear friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church in Rancho Cucamonga. We are so glad uh, that you are joining us in our study. If my voice is a little bit weak, I want to confess to you, I lost my voice when the Packers had that another Hail Mary pass at the end of that game. Unfortunately, it was in a restaurant where I lost it, and so my family and I are no longer allowed to go to islands any, anymore. We're not allowed to go there anymore. Uh, but one of the waitresses came up and said, oh, I wish I had a video of you and your wife when that thing happened, because Kimberly and I went crazy. Um, uh, Kyle Hart, one of our media guys, he told me that he was watching the game with a group of friends, and there's like a minute left, and Green Bay's on their own five-yard line down a touchdown, and they said, oh, this game over. And, and Kyle said, oh no, my pastor's praying. My pastor's still praying. I wish I kept praying during overtime. I did not do overtime prayer. Um, I didn't get my prayer life going until too late in overtime. But at any rate, that will explain that if it's weakened anyway. Now today we come to one of the great chapters in the Bible. This coming week, I'm speaking at another pastor's group, and, and they sent me a list of questions they want to interview me about with this uh, different pastor's group this coming week. And one of the things they wanted to ask, they were going to ask me is, if you could preach one text, just one text before you die, what would that text be? And I'm going to tell you, it's John chapter 3. I hope that is not prophetic. I hope that doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to preach it and then die, but... Um, what a, you guys would remember the message, wouldn't you? That would be very, very powerful. So how to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And why I love John chapter 3 is because it tells us how to prepare for eternity, ourselves and the people we love and care about. Now, Pastor Jay at our men's breakfast, Pastor Jay also serves as our men's pastor. And at the men's breakfast yesterday, he gave a powerful illustration of how this red at the end of this rope represents this life. That's what it represents. And the rest of this rope, on into infinity, not just that far, but on into infinity, that represents uh, eternity. And how foolish it is, and, and we shouldn't feel bad about ourselves, because everybody around us in work, everybody in our family, in our neighborhoods, they're all doing the same thing. We all concentrate on this little end right here. And we all say, you know what, if I can get a good job here, and if I can save some money here, maybe I can retire here instead of here and have a good life to there, and hopefully it won't be there. Uh, here, I hope I'll die here. And we put all of our attention right there. And how can we have the most fun here? And how can we retire here rather than here? And make good decisions here to be able to do that. We're just like this all the time, busy, busy, busy. And hardly a thought about eternity, not realizing we get this blip in time to live for Christ here, to make sure that we're prepared for eternity here for there, to make sure the people around us in what we call our oikos here at our church, our family and friends, this brief sprint here to determine everything there. And that's why I love John chapter three, because it helps us prepare for eternity. Now we're going to uh, have two main characters in this story today, Nicodemus and Jesus. And so first of all, we're going to look at Nicodemus before, and let's take a look at Nicodemus the first time we meet him in scripture. Verse one, 
Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Now, this would have been an intelligent man. He would have been cultured. He would have been moral. He would have been a member of what was then like the Supreme Court would be today. He would be an expert in the Talmud and in the Mishnah and in the Torah. Um, And think to yourself of who would be the least likely person you know to become a Christian. Who in your own personal life, least likely person uh, to become a Christian. Or think about it nationally. You know, I think of Richard Dawkins, who's the most prominent atheist in the world today. And I was just uh, heard a couple of days ago that William Lane Craig, who's a tremendous debater for Christianity at Biola University, and he uh, has been dodging, Richard Dawkins has been dodging debating him just all over the place. They keep setting up debates. He says he'll come. At the last minute, he bails. He is just so afraid to encounter William Lane Craig because he is afraid of what might happen. Well, that to me is the biggest person nationally or worldwide that would just shock me if he became a Christian. But how about in your personal life? Who's the least likely person you know? Don't give up on them. If Nicodemus could become a follower of Christ, that person, as crazy as it seems right now, can become a follower of Christ. You keep sharing with them. You keep praying for them. You keep loving them. He was a Pharisee, which was a special group of about 6,000 Jews that had taken a vow in front of three witnesses that they would devote their entire life to obeying every moment of their entire lives to obeying the Ten Commandments. He was a ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin, 70 men who had religious authority over every Jewish people in all the world, Jewish person in all the world. He Later, Jesus calls him a teacher of Israel, and Jesus uses the definite article. So he may have meant not just a great teacher of Israel, but the great teacher of Israel. He'd almost be like the Pope. Uh, He'd be like the number one teacher. Everybody knew it in all of Israel. He was one of the top religious teachers in all the nation of Israel and the Jewish people all around the world. Nicodemus was at the top religiously, morally, politically, and socially. He had everything to lose by following Jesus. But even he needed a savior. You've heard me use this illustration before. Imagine all of us are on the coast of California, all of humanity. And our assignment is to swim to Hawaii, which is two or 3,000 miles away. And so the best swimmer amongst us uh, gets out 20 or 30 miles and they drown. And somebody who can't even swim gets two or three feet out and they drown. How foolish would it be for the person who swims out 20 miles to laugh as they go under the water at the person that only made it two or three feet? Because if you look from space, it's still a long ways to Hawaii. There's really no difference when you look at it from space. If you look at some of the space station or, or, or something orbiting to look down from heaven's viewpoint, there is no difference. It all looks the same, and the same thing is true as morally. Maybe that person who swims out 20 miles is like Mother Teresa. And the person that only gets two or three feet out is like um, uh, maybe, you know, Adolf Hitler or somebody like that. And all the rest of us are somewhere between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. I'm not saying where you are along the line. I'm just saying we're all along the line uh, somewhere. But it doesn't matter. We're not going to get there on our own. In the different religions of the world, we sell different strokes. 
And so Islam has the side stroke, and Buddhism and Hinduism have the breast stroke, and, and um, uh, other religions have the back stroke, and maybe Christianity, even the religion of Christianity has the front crawl, and we're selling different strokes. Or maybe we say what you need is a better training regimen, and then you can swim to Hawaii. Or maybe you need a better diet, and then you can swim to Hawaii. There ain't no diet, no training regimen, no stroke is going to get you to Hawaii. You can't do it on your own. What we need is a bridge from Hawaii back to the coast of California. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. He, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except they get through me. It is impossible to do it on our own. We can do it through Christ and Christ alone. And so he gives us four pictures of what that is. Picture number one is birth. We are born again into God's family. Verse two, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. This is interesting. He saw Jesus as a great teacher. And you know, something like 90% of the world sees Jesus as a great teacher. It's remarkable how highly esteemed he is beyond Christianity. I mean, in Islam, he's the number one prophet. Uh, Muhammad is the final prophet, but Jesus is the greatest of the prophets. Um, In Hinduism, Buddhism, he's the most enlightened one. Even with secular humanists or atheists, he's seen as a great moral teacher. For 90% of the world, uh, they see him as a great teacher, as Nicodemus did. But here's a problem. He's more than that. And Nicodemus was beginning to sense that. He said, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He said, I know you're a great teacher, but these miraculous signs tell me that you are something more than merely a great teacher. And so Jesus replies, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In the original Greek, this uh, phrase, born again, has several meanings. It can mean a complete radical change. It can mean an event that happens a second time. It can mean something that happens to you from above. Uh, William Barclay writes about this. He said, it is not possible for us to get all these meanings into any single English word. And yet all three of them are in the phrase, born again. To be born again is to undergo such a radical change that it's like a new birth. It is to have something happen to the soul which can only be described as being born all over again. When you become a Christian, God doesn't simply remodel you. He doesn't tweak you around the edges. He makes a completely new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new person. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have, have become new. We are a new creation. It's like being born again all over again. That's why we should really celebrate two birthdays. And maybe you know a specific date when you came to Christ. Maybe today could be that day when you come to Christ. This could be your spiritual birthday, uh, uh, January 17th, 2016. This, this could be your day, or if you're in Montana or Arco, uh, January 23rd, 2016, you have a physical birthday, you have a spiritual birthday. My physical birthday is September 29th, 1956. But my spiritual birthday is here, written in my little Bible, this my old beat-up Bible that I had when I was a kid. And in the front page, it says, I was saved on Sunday night, March 15th, 1964, in my daddy's bedroom. And so my dad, after he led me to Christ, had me write that in this little Bible. And so my physical birthday is September 29th, 1956. My spiritual birthday is March 15th, 1964. 
and my spiritual birth is every bit as radical a change as our physical birth. Uh, He goes on to say, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Now, of water, I believe, means the first birth. You're in a water sack, and when the water breaks, that means that birth is imminent. And so he's talking about your physical birth. Now, I want you to know that I am an expert on this subject because it is all that is talked about in my household, I'm telling you. Four babies in 10 months, that is all anybody talks about. It's, it's hilarious. We're out to dinner with Leah and Aaron last night, and, uh, and you know, Kimberly and Leah just go off for uh, 45 minutes straight on birth and how you birth and where you're born and how it happens and, you know, all this stuff. And Aaron and I just kind of make eye contact every once in a while and then turn back to the football game is what we do. You know, it was a perfect win-win in that situation. Uh, Yesterday, I didn't get to watch the first game because I was required by my family. I got the orders that I was to be at an infant first aid class in Los Angeles. And so rather than watching the first game, I uh, was at that, and it was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. It was wonderful. And we were done by the Green Bay game, so it was all cool. But at any rate, uh, he says, unless you're born of water, the first physical birth, and of the Spirit, when you open your heart, you ask Christ Jesus to come into your heart, and the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in your heart. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, if I were to ask you, have you been born physically? You'd think I was crazy. What if I said to you, I want a birth certificate for you to prove to me that you have been born physically? You say, Glenn, you've lost your mind. It's obvious that you have been born physically. It should be just as obvious that you have been born again spiritually. It should be just as obvious in the way we talk, the things we spend our time with, our priorities in life, the way we love and help people and sacrifice for people, the things we think about, the things we read, the things we watch, the things we do, the things we consider are important. It should be just as obvious that we have been spiritually born again as it is that we have been physically born. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Second picture is wind. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. And I love in that video clip, I'd never thought of that before, Jesus produces his own wind on the spot. That was, that was very cool. Uh, that's not in the Bible at all, but at any rate, uh, I thought that was very uh, cool. He wouldn't need to do that because Jesus was always looking for illustrations from what was happening. And if you were sitting in the evening, the cool of the evening, in Jerusalem, which is surrounded by desert, there would be a wind that would pick up in the evening. And so that'd be a very natural phenomenon. So he points to that. And he says to him, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He says that wind is something, you can see the results of it. You can't see wind, but you can see what it does. You can even hear it. You can see its results even though you can't actually see the wind. By the way, how many of you are so glad you live in earthquake country and not hurricane country? I'm telling you, give me earthquakes any day of the year. But that's what it's like. He says you can see the results of wind. 
You can't see the wind, but you can see its results. And he says the same thing is true with the workings of the Holy Spirit, the workings of God. And I love this next question in verse 9. Nicodemus doesn't blow him off and say, you're crazy, or how can this be? He doesn't say it that way, how can this be? He's asking for help. And when you have doubts with God, ask for his help. Um, Don't just dismiss it and, oh, I can't believe that. Say, God, would you help me to understand how a certain thing, if there's something that's hard for you, somebody was telling me yesterday how the Trinity is a hard thing to understand or the virgin birth or the miracles of Jesus. I love his heart. He says, how can this be? Just explain it to me because I want to believe. I have an open mind. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Verily, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. Now, he could be talking about him and the disciples, but most likely, I think he's talking about the Trinity. He's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The next page of your study outline. We can't see God, but we can see evidence of his handiwork. The probability of a planet anywhere in the universe fitting within all 153 parameters. There are 153 things that have to be perfect in order for a planet to have life. And as a matter of fact, that, day, that figure is probably out of date. There are new parameters that scientists are discovering all the time of things that have to be perfect in order for there to be human life. And, and this is probably out of date. This is from a few years back. It's probably much higher than that now. But if you take those 153 parameters, the chances that a planet anywhere has all of those is approximately 10 to the 194th power. The maximum possible number of planets in the universe is estimated to be 10 to the 22nd power. Now apply your junior high math, and you subtract 22 from 194, and it's not written correctly, by the way, in your study outline, but it is up here on PowerPoint. Thus, there's less than one chance in 10 to the 172nd power. That's one chance in 100,000 trillion, 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 trillion. Those are worse odds than the Powerball was this past week. Exists that even one such planet would occur anywhere in the universe. Now, which makes more sense? That we just got lucky or there's a designer behind the design of the universe? Or it gets even harder than that, because even if you believe that we uh, met those impossible odds, who put the material there to begin with? Even before the Big Bang, who put the incredibly dense point of matter there in the first place and set it off to perfectly uh, unfold into our universe? Now, if your heart beat a little quicker the last minute or two when I gave that illustration, I got some great news for you. Four weeks from today, we have our AMP conference right here. And oh my goodness, it is going to be a Friday night and a Saturday of just that kind of stuff. And, and you guys that love that stuff, this is for you. And then we'll have one of the speakers speak on, on Sunday morning, Mark Middleberg. And by the way, those of you in Arco, Idaho, and those of you in Montana and, and Rancho, don't feel like you're going to be, well, Rancho, you could come to the conference. But in Idaho and Montana, don't feel like you're being left out because you'll get to hear Mark Middleberg uh, the Sunday after uh, we hear, have him here. You will have access to that. And that is just going to be awesome. And so go to page two. 
Now, I know it's a little bit pricey, and by the way, the expense is only for the conference Friday night and Saturday. You don't have to pay to come to church on Sunday morning, okay? I want you to know, nobody has to pay that amount to come to church. Church is still free, okay? I want you to know, on Sunday morning, that's all free. But there is a, a price to it, and, but there are ways to help with that. There's a student rate. Uh, if you, when you register, if you put in the code PURPOSE, uh, for our church, because we're the host church, they'll knock off 10%. But if that's still hard, let us know. We've got volunteers uh, positions for it that you can go for free. If you volunteer here, email us, let us know that, or put it on your communication card. Or if you need scholarship help, we'll find a way to make that happen. I don't want anybody not to be able to go uh, because of finances. Now, because uh, Nicodemus was steeped in the Old Testament, he would have immediately thought, when Jesus is talking about the wind and breathing life into something, he would have thought of a passage like Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 37. He, he would have uh, thought of that, where it says, skipping down to verse 10, so I prophesied with regard to the dry, dead bones, and he, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army." And he speaks of Israel coming back together uh, in the nation of Israel. But he also talks of the new life that he breathes into us. The third picture, he also would have known this story because, see, somebody like Nicodemus, they may have memorized the entire Old Testament. Can you imagine such a thing? Especially the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would have had them memorized, so immediately he would have known what Jesus talked about when he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And you'll see that story below there from Numbers chapter 21. And then comes the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's read that out loud together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the next two verses are just awesome. But because they live in the same neighborhood as John 3, 16, you never pay attention to them. You ever have that? I mean, two of the most beautiful homes in Pomona are on either side of us. So nobody notices our house because they're gorgeous ones on either side. Uh, now that raises our housing value, so that's cool, you know. But, but we don't get noticed because these just beautiful homes on either side. Or maybe you, your big brother was a great athlete or your big sister was a great student. And sometimes you get lost. And you know how John 3, 17 and 18 feel when they've got to always live in the shadow of John 3, 16. But these are awesome verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So many people think that. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Is that good news or what? But here's a warning. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And that is the motivator to our church in 2016. That's the way we, that's why we make those outside the faith a priority over our comfort zone and our comfort level. I won't tell you which pastor said it, but he, he's probably everybody thought it, but he, he actually actually said it out loud. Did I say that out loud? And, uh, and he was saying, you know, we talked about, oh, praise God for the first fruits offering, 155,000. And then he wistfully said, boy, 
could we could uh, we use that in our area of ministry here, the ministry he was in? And uh, I immediately rebuked him for that thought, but I totally identified with with the thought. And for that matter, 1.2 million. Oh, could we use that with, within our uh, own ministry here? But you see, that's not how we roll around here, okay? We believe that it is all about the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. It is all about mobilizing this ministry and giving outside of this ministry to reach people for Christ, whether they be Thailand or some other nation or whether they be in our own community. This is what it is about. We are driven by this. I read a, a quote the other day that said, never get used to the sound of people's feet shuffling on the way to hell. May we never, as a church, never get used to or jaded or, or casual about the sound of people's feet shuffling on the way to hell. And that's why everything we do, whether it's our giving or our budget or our ministries, we are always first asking the question, now, what will make us comfortable? What will make us happy? What will make things more convenient for us? We're always asking the question with back to Pastor Jay's rope here, we are always asking the question, what can we do here not to just be comfortable here, but to make sure that our community and our friends and even the people in different nations in the world have the chance to be prepared for that and not just how comfortable we can be here. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And that is what we are about. And that is what our motivator, uh, motivation uh, will, will be. Final picture, number four, light and darkness. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It's my impression the more crime happens at night than the daytime. And some of you in law enforcement can tell me afterwards if I'm accurate in that or not. But it seems like it's true that we commit crimes at night because we don't want to be seen and don't want to do them in broad daylight. My dad had a saying um, as I was growing up, he had all these little proverbs that he was always saying. And one of them was, nothing good goes on after midnight. Which hurt my feelings because I was born after midnight. But at any rate, he wasn't referring to that. And so I was always, it was so, so embarrassing. I was always the kid that had the earliest curfew. And, uh, you know, girls I was dating or, uh, or my friends would all have a curfew of midnight or one in the morning or something like that. Mine was always 11 because he wanted me a full hour away from midnight. Or if I were a little bit late, he didn't want it anywhere close to midnight because he said nothing good uh, happens after midnight. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We saw Nicodemus before, now we see him after. And what's so interesting is that the first time he comes to see Jesus in, at nighttime, because he's afraid to be seen with him, Jesus was at the peak of his popularity at that moment. And yet here, the most dangerous time, you know he's been changed, because now it's the most dangerous time to be associated with Jesus, right after his crucifixion. He had just been executed by the Roman government. This is the time when you want to hide out. But instead, here he comes in broad daylight. John 19, verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. 
With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Uh, The next part of that verse, I should have left it in there, uh, says that he came with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, uh, which in today's value would be worth between $150,000 and $200,000 worth of embalming to embalm the body of, of Jesus. And here he is, out of the darkness, into the light. Now he is changed. And you can just look at him and know that he has not just been physically born, he has been spiritually reborn as well. If you've never taken that step, today could be your spiritual birthday. This, this could be your moment. You could mark inside of your Bible, or you could write this on your program. I was saved Sunday morning, uh, January 17th, 2016, or if you're in Idaho or or Montana, you can put the date when you're going to be with us on that message. You could, you could, you could write, write that in there. This could be your moment. If you look on the next page after your study outline, the upper left-hand corner, you'll see how to receive God's gift. It's basically a summary of what we've just been talking about. And there's a little suggested prayer there. Why don't we pray that? I'll, you, I'll pray it out loud. You pray it silently. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins right here, right now. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life, and all God's family said, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we've got a gift we'd love to give you. It's at the guest center, either on the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby. It's it's some resources to help you in your walk with Jesus. If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's somebody there that would love to talk with you. But if you just want to grab that packet and leave, no pressure, no obligation, we want to put this in your hands and a free gift to us, uh, to you, as you uh, start your walk with Jesus. The prayer room is available over here to my left, to your right on the main floor. The prayer team, the prayer partners are there. They would love to pray with and for you if in any way uh, that would be an encouragement. Would you stand for the benediction? I want to finish with um, two verses. Jude, verse 24 and 25, uh, as our benediction this morning. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.